welcome back to this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And guys, you know what? Nobody really expected this group of teams to make it to the conference finals. And you know what? Screw the casuals. I'm enjoying these these series so far, even though the uh, the Eastern Conference Finals will start tonight. Peek behind the curtain. It's a Wednesday. But we still have a lot of content to talk about. But first, as always, I'm Jerry Castillo, and I'm joined by... I'm Daniel Huen, and uh, I can't really think of any uh, anything noteworthy to say. And joining me as well, I Heart Basketball hashtag We Talk Hoops. Thanks for joining us again at Shooting Bricks Podcast. It's your boy Relly Rail Jarrell Sales. Yeah, and it's really interesting because we all heart hoops. That's why we do this. And if you're a fan of the Nets, well, I don't know if you love hoops as much because, as we all know. The Brooklyn Nets lost a heartbreaking Game 7 against the Bucks Saturday night, losing 115-111 in OT. Some weird stat that I saw. I think the Bucks outscored the Nets 4-2 during the entire overtime period. Gee, you're looking pretty surprised by that. But yeah, KD had 48, Harden had 22, Kyrie was still out because he had an ankle injury. And even though KD tied the game at 109, he could have had the game-winning shot, had he not had really long feet. And it's really interesting because KD, he actually wears a size up. If you watch his games, you see how his shoe is always falling off and things like that. Well, it's because he wears a size up. And had he worn his actual size, the you know the Nets might have been in the, uh, in the conference finals instead of the Bucks. And on the flip side, not the Bucks, but on the f- other side of the equation... The 76ers were eliminated in another Game 7, losing to the Hawks 103-96. Now, this is the second time, second year in a row, Philly gets bounced in the second round. And Trey Young, he wasn't even that effective, too, because in Game 7, he was just horrific, right? He was shooting, I think, like 5 of 20. He wasn't doing much. But I think the main thing has to turn to Ben Simmons because he was just non-existent in the fourth quarter, especially later in the series. He just was afraid of the basketball. Case in point, he had an open dunk and still didn't dunk it. He instead passed it off to, um, who was it? Uh, Matisse Thibel. And he got fouled. And it was just a weird situation all around. So out of just basically all of these th- teams, and of course, we have to talk about the Jazz, they, they choked. They didn't do well. They just completely, they had a 2-0 lead. And they just choked. Um, the Mike Conley injury just really devastated them. And so there's not really much you can say about that. It was just cut and dry, really disappointing season for the Jazz. But guys, just out of, uh, out of these three teams that we talked about, who has the, which team essentially has the biggest question mark heading into the offseason? I know you guys might say, obviously, it's the Philadelphia 76ers and Ben Simmons. But what do you guys think? Would the Jazz have a, a more interesting offseason or maybe even the Nets? Um, I, first of all, just want to put it out there. All these uh, three teams all have question marks going into the offseason. Brooklyn, they're going to have to build, they're going to have to build, you know, a team around the big three. Um, they're going to obviously need more, you know, defense, obviously, because they were one of the more defensively deficient teams all regular season long. The Utah Jazz, I think they're going to need to do something about Rudy, Rudy Gobert potentially getting as a potential stretch four, in my opinion, a big that can also score. Uh, but other than that, I think 
I think it's obvious. Uh, you mentioned the Philadelphia 76ers, Jared. I think the Philadelphia 76ers have the biggest question by far going into the offseason. Look, I just want to say this. Ben Simmons is not a bad player. I think he's a pretty good player. But for the position and the draft selection that he was brought in uh, into this league, he has definitely not lived up to expectations. The fact is, Sixers fans have got to know this. I think it's time to simply trade him. Ben Simmons, he has had four to five years to develop a jumper and a more offensively efficient game. He has simply failed to do that. His game has now come into a play where it now really interferes with Joel Embiid in the low post. Um, the Look at this playoff series, the last playoff series we saw. Um, ben Simmons choked again in the in the playoffs. He didn't score even, he didn't even crack even 10 points in any of the games he played against the Hawks. Um, the fact is, he has stagnated. Uh, we have, the truth is, you know, we as fans hyped him as this number one option, this face of the franchise coming into the league. He has definitely not shown that he is that. He is a two to three option at best, um, but he needs a guard to feed him in the post. And that's the truth about Ben Simmons. I think it's time for Philadelphia to move on. He belongs on a team like a team like a Houston or, or like even a Portland um, Houston could theoretically draft the guard to pair up with Ben Simmons this this offseason. It's possible um, they can, and I will even say, like he, Ben Simmons would fit perfectly on a team like Golden State. Now, would they land him? Probably no, not. But he doesn't. Philadelphia, yes. Well, uh, Phil, uh, Philadelphia needs Philadelphia needs to do something with Ben Simmons because this experiment has simply failed. It's long overdue. Okay, um, just. Really quickly, G, before you you say your piece, a few years ago we you mentioned Daniel about how uh, he hasn't really developed his game. Well, a few years ago, Kobe even said, "quote He's got to get a jump shot." Um, it sounds stupid and all that, but I'm dead serious. If because if not, he will he will regret it when his career is over. But go ahead, G. Um, fair fair assessment. I I mentioned this. A while ago, and now everybody's talking about it. CJ McCollum, Ben Simmons swap. Yep. But to answer yep. your question, Jerry, uh, the biggest question is the Philadelphia 76ers, just to reiterate what's being said. The Nets and the Jazz both had two key things that occurred that happened to put them in this situation, which is injuries. They had a solid team before people started to get injured. As we've seen throughout this regular season, everybody wants to join the Nets. They want to play with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. Why not? So no question marks with them. They're going to end up having a solid team, and they're going to be one of the front runners for a finals appearance next season. When it comes right. to the Jazz, I still believe that they have an amazing team from top to bottom. Uh, Mike Conley's not going anywhere because nobody's going to pay him what the Jazz is going to pay him. Uh, the biggest step that the Jazz may have to do is try to find out that missing piece that maybe puts them over the edge, maybe solidify their bench even more, or uh, Rudy Gobert or Donovan Mitchell even taking another step forward because I don't see anybody else. Everybody else's potential is capped on that squad. But the 76ers, much to what Daniel has said, um, they have some question marks because their team was healthy. Seth Curry stepped up, and I tweeted this before. He always steps up every playoffs. But what happened to Tobias Harris? Tobias Harris was your go-to guy when it come, came to the regular season, but – he, I mean, he showed up, but he didn't show up when it counted. And I want to bring this back to Trey Young. Trey Young uh, had a bad game, game seven, but 
towards the end of the game, he started, he had what, like in the beginning of the fourth quarter, had like 11 points, ended with like 20. So he did it when it mattered. So the Philadelphia 76ers have more to look at than just Ben Simmons. Uh, their team is awkwardly put together. Um, and I honestly, I agree with Kobe's assessment. Of course, why would I disagree with the Black Mamba, the GOAT? But I think Ben Simmons, much to what Giannis Antetokounmpo needs to do, is they need to watch DeAndre Ayton. DeAndre Ayton isn't a stretch five, but he will shoot a 10 to 12 to 13, 14, 15 footer consistently. That's all they need. We don't need them to be a stretch five. We just need you to consistently do that. And it's crazy to think that these veteran players don't have those, those skills, those fundamental skills that this young player DeAndre Ayton has. DeAndre Ayton plays the game well. I watched Phoenix play all season long, I mean, all playoff long, and I'm going to mention it now. I was wrong about the Phoenix Suns. I was right about the the edge, the it factor that they have. But for them to be inexperienced and but to have those foundational cores as a, as a basketball b- basketball players and go out there and battle each night, they're showing it. And DeAndre Ayton is a prime example for all those kids out there listening, um, bigs, whatever you – bigs, smalls, guards, whatever the case is. This, there's, there's much that you can learn from DeAndre Ayton with his pick, rolls, pops, and just playing his game. Yeah, and you bring up DeAndre Ayton, how he kind of just focuses on in the paint. Like, yeah, he can stretch the floor, floor out a little bit. He can he hit a few uh, shots in the mid-range yesterday, last night. But with Ben Simmons, he had that in the regular season. Like, he had that ability to be in the paint, abuse his defender, 6'10", 250, whatever, and just beast but in the playoffs it just disappeared we don't know what happened i guess the shooting the free throws missing all of those because i think um he had 75 attempts correct me if i'm wrong in the uh, in the series uh, wait was it against the series i don't know but i think in throughout his uh playoff run ben simmons shot 34.2 percent which is the lowest percentage of anyone who shot more than 75 free throw attempts i think that just got really into his head to the point where he doesn't even want to be around the rim with the ball because he's afraid of going to the line. So I think that's just, that's a thing that's going on with Ben Simmons. We don't know exactly what's happening, but I hate to sound like a broken record, but I'm agreeing with you guys. I think the Philadelphia 76ers have a lot to work with, work on this off season, because if you're Joel Embiid, right, you're turning, you're still 26, you're still relatively young, but Ben Simmons is holding you back. Even Brett Brown couldn't Big fix time. this doc. Yeah. Doc Rivers couldn't fix this, you know. So at what point does it do you, do you just say to yourself, okay, let's pull the plug. We tried. We'll just shoot him off. Do you wait until midseason? Do you wait until next season? Or do you wait until, you know, the start of free agency this year or the uh, moratorium period or whatever this year? Personally, I just pull the trigger now. Uh. I'm in agreement with you, Jared. I just think Ben Simmons is just a bad fit on this team. I mean, like, like we've known it since the beginning of their, both of their careers. Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are a bad match. It was on the onus on Ben Simmons to develop a more offensively sound game, develop especially more on the perimeter because you were going to get in the way of Joel Embiid. But the problem is Ben Simmons didn't develop any of the, any aspect of the game. He got lazy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I'll say right now, there were reports of, like Ben Simmons is lazy behind the scenes. And I wouldn't be surprised if that was true. Um, and like, and that's how we got to this result. Um, the games, their games simply don't fit on paper or on the court. Um, they got to move on now because like 
Joel Embiid is a big, and he has struggled with struggled with health in the past. And eventually, when you're big like that, health history is eventually going to come back somehow sooner or later. So if Philadelphia wants a championship within the next three to four years, they got to pull the trigger now and do something big. Right now, G? That, that's only if they can get something in return. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not all for just shipping off Ben Simmons. I feel like he's still an amazing player with what he brings. He's not a scorer. There's something that has to adjust. Maybe it's the coaching, um, but I feel like it could work. You need slashers. Uh, Joel Embiid, I read a report about him having to adjust his game by playing more perimeter to accommodate Ben Simmons, but maybe it needs to be vice versa. Let's have Ben Simmons adjust his game to accommodate uh, a Joel Embiid. And I know you're going to say, well, he needs to shoot. But ben, uh, Joel Embiid can work in the paint. Ben Simmons is going to have to put pressure on defense with his, his, with his cutting and be as, as aggressive as Kenny DeJet Smith said on the TNT uh, after show when they lost. Um, be aggressive. Shaq said the same thing. Be aggressive. If Ben Simmons continues to be aggressive, if anything, just improve your, your free throw shot because, you're, like Jared said, he's 6'10", 6'11", 240, 250. You – Nobody could stop you attacking the basket. And you are a little bit more fundamentally sound than Giannis as far as um, footwork goes. So if Ben Simmons can just adjust that free throw, I say 12, 12 to 15 footer, that's all you need. I still feel like this works. He's still one of the best perimeter defenders. We got to look at what he did to Trey Young, the five possessions that he had where he, he either stole the ball or uh, caused the turnover or made the ball go out of bounds. He's doing this against one of the best ball handlers in the league, and he's able to guard positions one through five, and I stand by that. Defense wins championships. I understand he can't shoot threes, but I wouldn't say pull the plug now unless you're getting Bradley Bill. Which is a kind of like a pipe dream because Washington has long claimed that they will not part ways with Bradley Beal. So, I mean, that'll be interesting. Um, I think that if anything, I know we say that the 76ers should pull the plug now. I think they're going to wait until midseason, wait until his stock is a little bit higher, and then trade for him. Trade him away, I should say. Because right now his stock is at its lowest. Nobody really wants a non-shooting point guard because they can just teams can just sag off him. I mean, you've seen it countless times and when he gets to the line, he doesn't hit. So, it'll be interesting to see what the 76ers, Daryl Morey and Elton Brand do over there in Philly, but gee, you mentioned DeAndre Ayton. Well, wow. What an incredible game because you know, game 1 was like whatever. I mean, get, the Phoenix Suns took game 1 against the Clippers on Sunday, beating them 120 to 114 at home. But then on Tuesday, it was the game we kind of were all expecting because Chris Ball was out. Yeah, we knew. Kawhi was out. Yeah, we know. But it was still kind of like a battle of the others, right? Because you saw Luke Kennard step up late in the fourth quarter. You saw campaign of all people shooting, you know, putting up 29 and 9 with zero turnovers. When last year he was playing in, in friggin' China. Like we saw the play of the others take off. And DeAndre Ayton... He did, okay, I don't know how to describe this fully because it was amazing, but have you seen this, the courtside angle of Jay Crowder's toss, his lob? Yeah. It, mm-hmm. The amount of space he had to make that throw successfully was so minuscule. Like, you could probably put, like, two or three hairs in between the ball and the backboard. It was that close. But shout-out to him because... You know, you can say campaign deserved the game ball, but, you know, DeAndre Eaton finished with 24 
24 and 14 and had the game winning alley oop. And I think he deserves the game ball from from last night because he's just been playing out of his mind. He's just I don't know what happened to him after after Monty Williams came to uh, to Phoenix, but he's just playing incredibly well. And I just want to know what are what are your guys' thoughts on the series so far? Because I didn't think it would be this entertaining. Like I thought it was going to be entertaining, but it wasn't going to be this entertaining to the point where I'm edge of my seat. Like I can't stop watching. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. also shout out to uh, Paul George for missing two critical <laughs> free throws at the end of the game. The perfect definition of bottle line. But uh, Say it. what's his nickname? Pandemic, Pandemic B. B. There we Pandemic go. P. I like said it synchronized. <laughs> I love it. Pandemic P showing up again. But yeah, go ahead. Uh, what do you guys think about the series so far? I enjoy this very, very much. Well, well first off, uh, just want to get some slight annoyances out of the way. The NBA has got to do something about the replays. Um, I know replays are important, but they are holding up the game. And that Clippers loss, that was completely on Pandemic P. He had his, he had, you know, free throws are the most underrated part of basketball, and he completely choked there. But other than that, uh, this series has completely caught me by surprise so far. Losing Chris Paul, I thought this young Phoenix team, as like with all other young teams, they they would fail and crack under the pressure whenever they lose veteran leadership. No, no, they have not. They have actually, they have persevered extremely well under pressure. Devin Booker, Cameron Payne, all these young players. DeAndre Ayton, who I argue is the most underrated part of this Phoenix Phoenix squad so far, all postseason long, they have completely stepped up despite Chris Paul's absence absence g you are right um there's this something there's this this weird dog like mentality and tenacity with this team and i think that is the key to winning to winning in the playoffs they have what it takes to go far in in the postseason and to win a championship in general they have they simply have that championship mentality i think this phoenix team is you know this from evidence and the way they have played without Chris Paul so far, I think this team, I have full confidence to say that this Phoenix team is going to win in six games. Um, Chris Paul is inevitably going to come back. I know I have said it, you know, said it like two, these last multiple weeks, these last two months that the Clippers were going to fail. I think, um, I think it's true this time. They're going to get, they're going to get beat by this Phoenix team. They have oh, Phoenix has, no. has the home court advantage. They have the home court advantage. They're going to go, they're going up against Chris Paul, the X Factor. I think, I think, yes, I think Phoenix is going to pull this off. Okay, so really quick point, G, before you you say your piece. So Chris Paul intends intends to return for Game Three, which is a good sign for for the Suns. But another thing, the last possessions of the game, the last three minutes of Game Two, breaks down as follows: Paul George's three. Paul George assists to Zubox for a two-pointer, a Luke Kennard two, Paul George free throw, Paul George free throw, Paul George two, Paul George two, and then he missed the last two free throws. That's tough. That's tough. And then your point about the the Suns winning in six, please don't say that because every time you've said something, they've always gone wrong. So please, as Lakers and Warriors fans, let's say the Clippers win in some some number, but let's just say that so that the Clippers lose because whatever you say the opposite happens but go ahead G sorry for the for the weird thing no worries um so yeah I 
I don't think I'm a jinx, but I, I, I called it. I'm saying the Suns are going to the finals. They have that it factor. And they're not constructed like this team, but the Suns remind me of a modern-day bad boys Pistons. And why I say that is because from top to bottom, whoever's out there has that dog in them. But it's not like all bark. I feel like the Clippers are all bark. The Suns bite. They don't need to bark. They bite. Jay Crowder has the toughness. Cal Bridges, he he doesn't talk. He's silent killer, but he locks up. He he makes it uncomfortable for players. Um, DeAndre J- Ayton reminds me a little bit of a David Robinson build, but Tim Duncan demeanor, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But he shows a little bit more um, emotion. So I'm just seeing a lot of greatness out of the Suns team. And, you know, I was I, – I doubted them before. I always caught the it factor, but I'm going for them. Uh, I feel like after this past game, um, game two – I know you said DeAndre Ayton is the hero, and I agree, but there's co-heroes today. Cameron Payne really stepped up, and he weathered the storm, and he provided offense with Devin Booker on the court while he was struggling with Devin Booker off the court, and he just has this pep to his step. And I hope that it continues continues to go this way because he is a former lottery selection with the Oklahoma City Thunder. But to see players like Cameron Payne and DeAndre Ayton um, – Cameron Payne and DeAndre Aiden uh, step up in other players, role players like Cameron Johnson, just showing the hustle, the grit, the grind, the intensity. Uh, I'm all for the Suns winning. Monty Williams is an amazing coach and down with the L.A. strippers. I don't care what Ty Lue says. As as an L.A. Lakers fan living in California, Mm -hmm. you should be going for the strippers. What? What? You begging for support? (laughs) You begging for support? If you don't get out of here. I talked about Trey Young being the – the villain, right? And I feel like Devin Booker is embracing that. You know what I'm saying? Mama mentality. You have to learn to embrace the hate because there's going to be haters. And Devin Booker going out there with the broken nose with Steve Nash, love to see it. Uh, this is this is amazing. And they don't back down. The Suns have that it factor. And I'm calling it now. I keep calling it. I, they're, they're my favorites to win. I hope they win. And I'm sorry, Giannis. If, I hope you get to the finals, Giannis. But this Suns team is just, it's so fun to watch. Yeah. And Going back to your point about campaign, I saw, um, I think it was a tweet or like an Instagram thing or whatever, but I saw on social media that a Bulls, I think, assistant said that this player campaign doesn't have what it takes to be an NBA player and play at the NBA level. You know what? Uh, It's the Bulls. It's the Bulls, man. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because, again, like I said, he was in China last year and he was literally out of the league so the fact that he's able to do this in place of one of the greatest point guards hall of fame point guards mind you of all time that's just you know what i agree g they the two players should get the game ball and it should be campaign and deandre ayton because they just played spectacularly and the fact that they're able to do this their first playoff series well for DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker, yes. Their first playoff series and excel the way that they are. I mean, yeah, you know, Pat Bev did slow down Devin Booker a little bit. He shot 30, 30% from the field and only had 20 points. But that last, was it the last bucket before they pass it off to Mikel Bridges for the missed three? Like where when he double clutched or whatever, hung in the air and hit that jumper over Pat Bev in the mid-range? I mean... If he's having a bad game, Devin Booker, you know he has that kind of like killer mentality, that, that Mamba mentality, all because of, you know, all because of Kobe saying, you know, be legendary. So it's a 
it's good stuff from the from the Suns. I'm just for the sake of not jinxing it. I'm gonna say the Clippers win in seven, just for the sake of jinxing. Okay, yeah. just for okay. the sake of jinxing. But I I know the Clippers won't win. I know that. I know that I a few of the Clipper people that I know will be disappointed to hear that. But oh well, you know, Clippers will win in seven, but in my heart they will lose. But uh, yeah, speaking of Trey Young, G, you brought him up. Well, the Bucks and the Atlanta Hawks series, the Eastern Conference Finals that we all thought was going to be, has come to fruition. Now, again, peek behind the curtain. We're recording this on a Wednesday, so Game One hasn't started yet since both series went seven, which was fantastic for us viewers, right? I guess we can really quickly all say that game seven of both series and the semis was just fantastic. It was absolutely great. Great. It was, you know, the NBA put a great product on the, on the court. Yeah. Shout out to all the, all the casuals that think, Oh, nobody's going to watch this. Uh, you know, what do you know? But ratings are up. Oh yeah. They're, they're good games. Of course they would be up, but Speaking of the Atlanta Hawks and the Milwaukee Bucks, now we all know Coach Bud as being a coach that didn't really, not really, but never did any adjustments. And Game mm. Seven was kind of a kind of a testament to that because Giannis still didn't play defense on KD, right? I think in that last possession, it was what Chris Middleton or PJ Tucker. One of the two. I think Chris. It was Chris Middleton on that. You know, well, never mind. That wasn't the last possession. But, but the. Uh, yeah, the fact of the matter is, it wasn't Giannis, mm-hmm. which in and of itself is a crime that should be punishable by getting fired. But he was able Damn. to Mr. Magoo his way into the into the conference finals, even with his mistakes. But yeah, even still, the Bucks are one of the best defensive teams in the league. But they've struggled to shoot from three, you know, shooting around 30% at times in the second round. Meanwhile, uh, Trey Young, like you mentioned, G, he's coming into the series with a hot hand. As he's been averaging 29 points in the playoffs so far, which is surprising because this is, again, his first playoff run. Now, the Bucks have a large size advantage because they can just throw, you know, Drew Holiday, P.J. Tucker, Giannis, Chris Middleton at Trey Young. Now... Do you think, okay, because the Bucks have the edge on defense and experience while the Hawks have better guard play and offense, who do you guys think will win this series? Because for me, this is a crapshoot, but I'm saying the Bucks. I'm not a jinx because my predictions don't really matter. So the Bucks, I think, will win in six because Trey Young and after that, who else? Kevin Herter? Bogdanovich is still kind of iffy with the knee injury. John Collins. There's just not enough weapons for the Hawks to outscore the Bucks. But go ahead. The Bucks got incredibly lucky that last round. Uh, the Bucks should have uh, simply they should have lost. Uh, Mike Budenholzer continues to not make adjustments, um, but he's. But I think the Bucks are going to win in five games here. Uh, the Bucks have every advantage Philadelphia had over the Hawks the last series, but except this time, they're, the Hawks are going to go up against Giannis Antetokounmpo, who in my opinion is a top three player in the game, and they're going to go up against better perimeter players and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, who can actually shoot the ball better, unlike Ben Simmons last round. Uh, the, the, the Bucks are like Philadelphia, they're simply bigger than them, 
the Bucks were one of the best defensive teams all season long. And this team is going to be um, far more physical. The Hawks are a tiny ass team. Trey Young has been a phenomenal player all, I mean, this postseason. And he, in my opinion, he has justified why he is one of my favorite young players to watch in this league. Trey Young is the future top three point guard, but I think the Hawks and him have met their match this time. Uh, I think their inexperience is finally going to bite them in the ass. So, yes, I think the Bucks. They're going to survive this round again. They're going to win this series in five. But mark my words, a Western Conference team is going to win the NBA Finals. Mike Budenholzer's continued reluctance to make adjustments and the Bucks' overall lack of offensive firepower is finally is going to bite them in the ass eventually. It's going to end them. Interesting. So I'm going to disagree with you guys here, and I am a Giannis fan, but I have the Hawks in seven. Uh, we got to stop underestimating. Mm. You, you underestimate. Yeah, you has your piece. <laughs> My turn. <laughs> uh, you underestimated them first round. You underestimated them second round. And now you're doing it the exact same team right now by saying that they're going to just get taken out in, in five games. Stop underestimating them because what the what the Suns have on the West is not the same, but it's itching towards that. That it factor on the Eastern Conference has to come out of this Atlanta Hawks squad. It's not just Trey Young. It's it's. John Collins understanding that I can't score 15 this game, but I can for sure hustle. I can for sure get in Embiid's face and, and make him kind of irri irritable. I can get a rebound. It's players stepping up each and every game. I understand Bogdanovich hasn't been consistent, but we have Gallo. We have Gallo stepping up one game. We have Lou Williams stepping up the other game. We have Red Velvet, uh, Kevin Herter stepping <laughs> up this last game. Every game, somebody steps up. And this is what you want to see out of the playoffs. This is the time that you get those contracts. We saw with KCP last year. He got that big contract just from how he performed in the playoffs. This is what's happening with the Atlanta Hawks. So sit here and say that they're un they're, the, the, the Bucks are too big. You know that the Hawks can exploit that because if Brooke Lopez can't slide his feet and get past Trey Young's uh, floater or lobbing it up to Clint Capella, he's going to have his ass on the bench. And then Budenholzer is going to be forced to have to put Giannis at the five. But we know Budenholzer isn't a good coach like that to do that adjustment. <laughs> so Giannis will not be playing the five. So with that being said, all of the, 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 the negative downfalls that we put on the Bucks. And we're sitting here saying, like, they're just going to miraculously turn it around. They didn't turn around in game seven with uh, Kevin Durant's foot on their throat. They were lucky. And they're not – they're, they're going to have to be super lucky to be able to beat this Fox team because they have – we talk about them not having experience. They've been through two rounds, two tough rounds, the, the New York Knicks and the 76ers. You talk about Giannis Antetokounmpo being a top three player. I agree with you, Daniel. But Joel Embiid is arguably the best center in the NBA, and he had 30 points damn near every game. Second best, whatever, him and Jokic. He's arguably the best center in the NBA. Somebody's going to argue it. Not me right now because MVP is Jokic. <laughs> but for our listeners, they have Joel Embiid. Anyways, to further my argument here, there's great players that Trey Young has went through. He has this his killer mentality. Regardless, even if he's struggling, there's players on the Atlanta Hawks team that's going to step up. This is going to be another great series because of the lack that the Bucks have and because of what the lack that they have is what the Hawks are going to take advantage of and vice versa. So I feel like this is going to be another game seven series because the Bucks are going to get lucky and they're going to be unlucky. And, and the same thing is going to go for the Hawks. The Bucks aren't going to be complete uh, for a five game sweep like what they did with the uh, Heat. Or did they sweep the Heat? They swept the Heat. They're not they going to be lucky like, with, like when they swept the Heat. Hmm. Just, to, uh, just to piggyback off that point then. So when you compare the two teams, the Hawks and the Bucks, who do you think had the more difficult road, all things considered, to get to the conference finals? 
I say the, the Bucks. Hawks. The Hawks. Most the Hawks because they played against healthy squads. <laughs> the mm-hmm. Bucks played against James Harden with a, a messed up hamstring. They played against Kevin Durant and F. Green. And you telling me, come on, bro. The Hawks played against a full, health, fully healthy New York Knicks team that has arguably the what, top five defense it, defenses in the league. Then they go up against the 76ers, healthy Joel Embiid. So they had the toughest, the toughest route. I mean, they weren't fully healthy because Joel Embiid had that knee injury. He had like a, uh, like a, and I think it was, was a he, right knee meniscus. Okay, let's compare that to the Nets. He had that knee injury, but was he not still scoring thirty points and putting hella pressure on them? Compared to James Harden, first game back had what five under ten points? Only five points. It's, it's yeah. not the same. It's not the same. And the 76ers have a more complete team than the, the Nets. Fair enough. Fair enough. I still, I still posit that it's the Bucks because. They have to go through two championship-level squads to get to the conference finals, if you get what I mean, right? Who's the second Who's but, the second one? The Heat. They went to the finals last year. Championship-level squads. Mm, not, Champion- this not this they, year. The Heat were, but in the terms heat were dejected of, coming into the playoffs. Yeah, yeah but not this in, year. in terms of how their, their championship DNA, right? Because everyone talks mm-hmm. about that championship DNA, so that has to account for something. So that's basically what I'm basing it on. I mean, this is entirely subjective, right? But something else that Daniel brought up that are, that really interested me because you said that Giannis is a top three player right now, right? Top, top three player in the league or right now? Correct me, which one did you say, uh, Daniel? Top three in the league in general. If you're thinking, like, who are the best basketball players in the world? Like, I would, I would mention that Giannis is the top three player. Okay. So right now, among the four teams then, who are your who are the top three players among the four teams left? Individually? I, no, no, in total. Because I would have Devin Booker in no particular order order, by the way. Devin Booker, Paul George, and Giannis. Uh yeah, that would be my list as well. I just think uh if I had to rank them, it would go Booker because of the impact he's having on this Phoenix team, then Giannis because of the importance he still plays despite the deficiencies on his squad and Paul George, he's just, who's a solid player, but he cannot get it done in the playoffs. Right. G. So I'm, tr- I'm trying to pull up Trey Young's stats. Cause I feel like he just continuously gets overlooked. Um, I'm going to say, I'm going to say Giannis as well. He's going to be in there. I'm going to give it to Booker and I'm going to give it to Trey Young. Okay. I okay. Mean, Trey, Young's, Trey Young's playing what? 40 minutes a game. Uh, we gotta mention we gotta mention that he's not only scoring 30, 20 plus points, but he's also doing outrageous numbers with these assists. They run their offense through him, and it's been effective. And he's arguably he has to be one of the best players in this in, in this top four right now. So he's averaging twenty nine and ten with two. What about three rebounds, a steal, and he's shooting forty one percent and thirty three from three. So still a, a pretty good you know, pretty good showing because shooting percentages always go down in the playoffs because teams tighten up who's on you and all that jazz so it just makes sense but that's that's a pretty good pick i mean i think the only thing that really differentiates us is paul george right Mm -hmm. say what you will about paul george pandemic p he's still a great player arguably a top 15 player in the league and my god is he hella smooth when he shoots like his game is just so smooth i don't think i've seen any at least in recent years, any player as smooth as him. I know this is an aside, but, you know, has 
all time, who do you think is the smoothest player to play? Paul George has to be up there. He, Maybe T Max. Oh, yeah, I was Tracy that was, that was the first person I was thinking because just play style, size, because technically Paul George is a, a six eight guard, right? And Trey yeah. T Mac came into the league as a six eight guard. So yeah, because I don't I'm thinking of players that are similar to that size. George right. Gordon. <laughs> oh, he was smooth. He was like six so seven though. Well, you know, minute yeah. details there, but you know, a lot of we're talking about Paul George and the Clippers, and a lot of people thought it would be like a big market finals with like the Lakers and potentially the Nets, but no, only small market teams left. If you want to call it the Clippers, even though they're in LA, a small market team because there's very very few people playing. But yeah, I like this. I like how small market teams are rising up. I really it's hope unpredictable. It... Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. I really hope it's not like one of those um, Spurs-Cavs series back in 2007 where nobody watched it because it was a small market team. Same thing I, with the Spurs and Pistons back in 04 and 05. No, no, 05. Yeah, yeah, in 05. I, I feel it's going to be different this time around because let's say we get a Bucks suns final. You got Giannis onto the coupe with the Greek freak um, who's instant television manic, and you have this Phoenix team who play who plays such entertaining basketball? People are gonna forget. They're gonna not, they're not gonna care that these are these are from two small market teams. I just I just wanted to say like I think this people have been complaining about the NBA not having parity for so long. Well, like you got it, and I think you know the ratings are proof that it's it's become successful. So I mean, going forward, I mean, I will be down for more of these type of postseasons to come as a as a basketball fan. Obviously, as a Lakers fan, like yeah, I want the Lakers down deep in the playoffs, but. Like I wouldn't mind if we we got more of these, you know, then more of these showing up the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I mean, it's it's small markets, but it's also the players. There's big names on these teams. People mm-hmm. teams. People know who Trey Young is. People know who Devin Booker is. People know who Giannis is. People know the Clippers. They know Kawhi, Paul George. So the big names that we got on the squad is just gonna draw in more crowd. And you know. After last year, I think people are more appreciative, even though they were being stupid earlier in the playoffs with throwing mm-hmm. stuff. Even last game, the Suns threw something on the court. But people are more appreciative and understand that. Yeah, Sixers. Understand what we were missing last year. So I think we should appreciate it a little bit more now that we have it. Yeah, and it makes the, the scenes of all the raucous crowds in Milwaukee that have that little area where the people are outside cheering. And then you go to Phoenix and – the noise is so deafening you can barely hear whatever's going on. I think right. that's what I think that's what really matters. And it doesn't matter if the ratings are down. Casuals are gonna do their own thing. But true basketball fans will really really enjoy this whatever final is coming up. So just a just a good note on that. But just a bunch of quick hitters here before we wrap things up. So I don't know if you guys saw, but Kemba Walker has been traded. The Celtics sent the 31-year-old guard this year's 16th pick and twenty twenty and a 2025 second-round selection to Oklahoma City for Al Horford. He's back. Moses Brown and a 2023 second-rounder. Um, I don't really know how to feel about this because Kemba is owed $73 million over the next two years, and his time in Boston has been just decimated with injuries. So... Really quick thoughts on this. I guess, you know, the Celtics have won because they got out of that horrific contract and the Oklahoma City Thunder get another pick. So it's a win-win on both sides, but a little bit more win on Boston side. 
Uh, I don't particularly have any strong feelings about this uh, trade. Uh, I think it was bound to happen. Kemba Walker had to be shipped out of there. He was just becoming unreliable. Uh, I guess the Celtics won this trade because they, you know, as you said, Jared, they got rid of the contract. And Oklahoma kind of won because Sam Presti has gone, you know, gone full blown crazy town with stacking up on picks. And, you know, I mean, which is, I mean, I'm not, I don't have anything for it. I mean, if I was in this position, I would be stacking up on this pick on his picks. I don't know if it, it, I would be doing to this degree, but I mean, good for Sam Presti. Um, overall though, like not really any strong thoughts. The squad, the Boston Celtics squad still kind of looks the same as it did yesterday. Oh, well, I mean, other than giving up that pick, which I don't know how effective that was going to be. Uh, they get what they mi- were missing. They got two bigs. You got to factor in Moses Brown is a young talent. I believe he went to UCLA seven, two, um, you can mold him. He's not Taco Fall. <laughs> and you have Al Horford, <laughs> which you had success with Al Horford before. So there's three key things here. One, you fix the void that you are missing. Bigs. You have a veteran big and you have a young asset in Moses Brown. Two, you get rid of Kimba Walker's uh, bum contract. Now you put yourself in a position for next year to potentially bring in somebody. Uh, so you're setting up yourself for the future. So I may have overcounted here uh, or combined two things because I said three. But those two things there... The Celtics fix their problem. They get that young asset, and now they have veteran big as well. I think they won this trade. Fair enough. Fair enough. And, you know, the Celtics, they could have – we talk about the Bucks just keeping Malcolm Brogdon, but if the Celtics just traded for Miles Turner, the Gordon Hayward-Miles Turner supposed swap, I think their issues would have been fixed. But, you know, speaking of issues that – have been fixed somewhat. Uh, Stan Van Gundy has parted ways with the with the Pelicans after just one full season, mainly because rumors circulated the family members close to the situation were unhappy with team management and with Van Gundy being the center of all of the frustrations that these family members had. Now, it's really interesting because apparently the J.J. Redick trade irritated Zion and his family and it just kind of created that rift between the two parties, right? And so... Just thoughts on this thing, this piece of news really quickly. I mean, it's a thing. You you want to keep Zion happy or else it's going to end up like a Chris Paul or Anthony Davis situation, but he's not going to leave. He's only in his second year. It, it wouldn't make sense for him to leave. It, it just wouldn't. I overall have mixed feelings about this story. Um, it's, I mean, first of all, Zion can't really say anything. As you said, Jared, he's only in the second year of his uh, year of his career. And like your, your career is barely starting Zion. You can't, you got to be patient. You can't be complaining just yet. But I do want to say something about the, about what's happening with New Orleans. It is, it, it's, it's, it follows a, a very, you know, for Pelicans fans, a, you know, a kind of a disturbing trend. Like your, your management has been incompetent enough that it's created this pattern where eventually your long-term stars are, you know, they all want to leave you at some point. Like we saw this with Chris Paul and Anthony Davis. Now we're beginning to even see signs with Zion. So if, you know, if I'm New Orleans and I'm David Griffin, like I got to like look at myself in the mirror. Like we got to do something to keep our stars happy because this trend is not, is not really good for business, but that's all I have to say about this as of right now, he's not going to leave. It's, it's way too early in his career. He can't leave. He's on a rookie deal. He has a two-year team option that they're going to accept. So that's Mm -hmm. out of the question. He needs to chill out. You're not even 21, bud. But much to what Daniel said, I agree. The trend, it's weird. Uh, There's no stability. And if there's no stability in the front office and your coaching staff, how are you to expect that out of your players? So 
worst situation. Fair enough. We mentioned st- stability. Well, the the United States men's basketball team has been facing somewhat instability because we don't necessarily know which teams or which players are going to the Olympics. But as of right now, it's been kind of finalized because you have Kevin Love, Kevin Durant, Damian Lillard, Bradley Beal, Bam Adebayo, Jason Tatum, Draymond Green, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, Devin Booker, Zach Levine, and Jeremy Grant all committing to play for Team USA in the 2020 Summer Olympics. Now, if that was a squad that's, you know, playing in the 2021. NBA... 2020, well, 2020 Summer Olympics, because they kept the, the branding. Okay. Yeah, because they don't want to confuse it with other things. But anyways, um, if that was a squad that's playing right now in the NBA, that's a solid 51 team. Yeah. They, they won't win 60, but the defense is kind of lacking because you only have, well, actually, no, scratch that. 55 <laughs> wins. 55 wins. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. We talk about KD. He is a generational player. We talk about Damian Lillard is a generation. generational player. We have Bradley Bill, out of this world scorer, and we got glue guys. That's a big three right there. And we still have Devin Booker, who is is a great scorer, and, and, and Zach Levine as well. And we got glue guys and Draymond Green, Chris Middleton. You know and what I'm Jeremy saying? Grant. I don't know. 55 wins? Like, this is a solid That's too squad. low, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, this is a here, squad. I mean, here's the thing about this team. Like, do you have something like a lot – Let's. Let's be honest, it's required in today's NBA, and we're seeing this full hand in the playoffs. You got shooting, and you got guards in the perimeter. So um, if this team was a real-life team, honestly put them like they're they're going to win 60-something games, and they're going to contend for the championship, definitely. And you like, can switch everything but Kevin Love. Everybody yeah. else can switch on. Like, I don't know, man. This looks, this looks pretty good. They ain't got a legit center. I know you want to consider Bam, but he's 6'9". But this is, nice. this is today's basketball. Yeah, and Draymond, too. This is the this is like a hyper version of the death lineup that the Warriors had. Mm-hmm. If you come to think of it, because they have so who shooting. KD, KD, Dame, Bam, Beal, and Tatum. Damn. Okay. What? You don't think so? KD, Dame, 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 Bam for sure. Tatum. Tatum. And then you said D book. No, I said KD, Dame. Bam! Tatum. Oh, you said Bill. Yeah, yeah. Basically, the... I feel like I feel like somehow Draymond Green is going to sneak his way into the starting lineup. Just to balance. Well, you're going to need him off the bench for that defense. So never mind. I like that yeah. lineup. That's a solid lineup, dude. Yeah, and you said Agreed. 55 games. I Just mean... that lineup alone, bro. KD, Tatum, <laughs> and Dame. Come on, bro. And then Bam, and then I'm... Bill. You're not stopping that. I mean, you can. There's only one basketball. True, but. We got Coach Pop. We gonna be solid. Wow. Absolutely. But speaking of solid things, the Detroit Pistons get the first overall pick. Shout out to them. The Rockets get the second. Cleveland gets third, and Golden State Warriors have pick seven and fourteen. Cool. And I I don't know if there's anything you guys want to add to that really quickly. Whoever goes to the Pistons, I'm praying for you. <laughs> Bro, they got they got something solid building up there, man. Trust. Trust. Has, oh lord i hope so, hey sadiq bay if they get kate cunningham that'd be solid i don't know who their four is but isaiah stewart at five that's a solid young core bro give uh, it time already, they already talking about uh, trading the pick don't be surprised if detroit gets evan mobley why i, I mean they got they got they got hayes last season they already have a they kind of have a guard like they could i mean they can use room for a big i mean there's room there there's room down low so why not take Mobley, who I think 
who I think who has huge upside in the NBA. And I think I will say this round. I think Evan Mobley could be uh, at some point in his career be an MVP candidate. Then, then trade the pick for the the second overall pick for the Rockets, or yeah, and get somebody in addition to that. I'm not I'm not completely sold on Cade. I mean, I think he's going to be a good player, but I don't know how great he is. You flip flopping, bro. You was Cade Cunningham six eight yeah. point guard like a whole two months ago. Now all of a sudden, I don't know. I'm not high on I'm not high on Cade. What happened? It, I don't know. It, it it goes overnight. I mean, I I've seen his highlights. I think he's going to be a good player. He has physical attributes, but like. I don't know, man. We'll, we, we shall see. You said the same yeah. thing about LaMelo Ball. This is a 6'8 point guard. Kay Cunningham is the real deal. He is legit. Yeah. I mean, whoever one and two, you can't, you can't really go wrong. I guess the fit's kind of iffy because if the Rockets pick up Evan Mobley, they still have Jer- uh, not Jeremy Grant, um, Christian Wood. Oh, that's their, that's their four right there. Who? Jeremy Grant. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. They, sh- they can just pick up... Uh, Cade Cunningham, they're set. Their starting five is set for like the next two years. Better question, though, and I know this is quick hitters, but I have to ask because it's highlighted as well. The Warriors have the 7-14th pick. So as a Warriors fan, Jerry, one, who do you draft at 17-7 and 14th? Or what do you do with the picks? So I was looking at who the Warriors could draft. I think it was like Jalen Johnson or whatever at 7 I was thinking maybe they could move up, trade both picks, move up to maybe like four or five, get someone there, get a wing, because they're, whoever whoever they're going to pick is not going to play, right? Because realistically speaking, you got Clay, Curry, Clay, one, two. You got Wiggins, three. Draymond, four. Wiseman, five. Oubre, six. And then you have maybe Jordan Poole, who just exploded towards the end of the year. Then you have Juan Toscano-Anderson, and you have Eric Pascal too. That's nine deep. So you trade for Bradley Bill. Uh, I mean, Seventh, fourteenth overall pick, James Wiseman. Throw in freaking Kelly Oubre, and probably next year's pick too. That could happen. I've seen uh, Bleacher actually That's put that lot. up. That's a lot for Bradley Beal. Yeah, I mean, where would That's three lottery picks plus a future pick plus. A young star in Wiseman. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. I'm, I'm Maybe still high on. Yeah. I'm still high on Wiseman. I really think he should stay because, oh my god, the intangibles are there. Everything is there. He's 19. He can develop into something good. Just give him time. He's yeah, why not? Why not trade that seventh pick? Do a sign and trade with Ubre and get a solid contributing piece, and then draft that 14th overall so you can still build towards the future. That'll be interesting. That'll be interesting, Cause, actually. Because honestly, y'all don't need the home run hitter. Any contributing piece to this squad already with just getting rid of Ubre, I think would be beneficial for you guys. I just want to say this. I think this Golden State team right now on paper is looking pretty good. And as you said, uh, Jarrell, like they don't like they don't really need home run hitters. So I would honestly consider strongly consider like trading trading the picks for pieces that can contribute. And I want to say this about Wiseman. I think he's the perfect young complement to veteran superstars like, you know, Stephen, Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson. I yeah. think I, you know, I'm just, I'm a fan of what he's shown so far in the NBA. He, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Chris Bosh. So, I mean, like, no, just he's, yeah. he's fun. He, he's fun. He's a fun development project. Like in my opinion, just leave him there. Just let him develop and see what happens. It's yeah. a first situation. Yeah. Yes, I mean, it's, it's like quiet. 
Yeah, exactly. I made the comparison like a few months ago that Wiseman is like a poor man's Chris Bosh, right? On a decent team, he's probably going to be the third option, but on a bad team, he's going to be the first option, right? Yeah. The Warriors Mm -hmm. are neither a bad team nor a decent team. They're a great team. So he's going to be further along the pecking order. So I just want to see him develop something maybe consistently with, you know, the way that his motor is because sometimes he was on and off in games. But as long as he continues to develop, the main thing, as long as he continues to develop and he stays with the Warriors, I think that'll be a solid position. Kelly Oubre, if they can sign him to a decent deal and then trade him in the offseason or halfway through the season just to see what, you know, what's out there, that would make sense. But if he's this... If he's the team six man, I'm totally fine with that too. Putting up 15, 13 to 15, totally fine. He don't play on no bench. You remember this. You remember this. Um, He's not coming off no bench. If it's a championship level squad, he will. Tsunami Poppy is gone. Trade him. Get somebody in return, bro. Y'all got the assets. Bro, imagine if the Warriors win a championship next season and Ubre still doesn't want to be a bench warmer or bench player, six man. He can get, he already has his bag. He can just, the Warriors can just trade him, right? Because, like I said, three years, 60 mil, two years, 40. If that's the range, totally fine. But, um, what I know we keep, I just have to ask this last question. What's more important, the rebuild or the now? Because your window is getting shorter and shorter with Clay Thompson and Curry. It's the now. The now. But the thing is, the, the currently the team is built, right, to bridge that gap because Wiggins is 27, Ubre is what, 25, 26, Wiseman is 19. You have a foreseeable core there. Plus, you have Jordan Poole, who's let me let me finish. You have Jordan Poole who's accelerating at a decent clip, right? So if you any said of your those... core was Wiggins and in Ubre with Wiseman as a core, the transitional core, right? Until okay. Wiseman becomes the the next piece. And this pick this year, and whatever, yeah. If if they decide to keep it, right? Because Stephen Curry was pick seven, and Chris Mullen was pick seven. So, so we can strike gold again. Who knows? Package that 14th, man. I, I say do both. Why not have the best of both worlds? Somebody wants that lottery pick. Who, but who wants it bad enough? I mean, with Ubre, I mean, the Thunder. <laughs> we got to sign Ubre first. Sign. I'm, well, y'all, Ubre y'all was, might get Kimba Walker. <laughs> Six man. You don't want Kimba coming up. The, okay, I know we digress. We, we yeah. going into it. But yeah, go ahead, Jared. No, I mean, last, last thing. Sign and trade. Kelly Oubre was on the Thunder. He doesn't want to go back to the Thunder. <laughs> so that's a thing. We The Warriors spent their $17 million trade exception from the Iguodala deal to nab Oubre. So I don't think they want to do that again. But yeah, that's just how it is, man. That's the nature of the beast. We don't, we don't know. We don't get what we want, but sometimes what we get is something we don't really want either, which is what happened to Alex Caruso because he got because he got arrested for weed possession in Texas. He was he was released on bail, but uh, yeah, you can get arrested for carrying weed in Texas, but you can't get arrested for carrying a gun. Strange times we live crazy. in. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, but uh, speaking of things that aren't crazy. Make sure you subscribe to the Shooting Bricks podcast and leave a review on your platform of choice. It really helps us out. Lastly, make sure to follow us on at Podcast Bricks on Twitter, at Shooting Bricks Podcast on Instagram, and at The Shooting Bricks on YouTube for all the news and the video of this episode of the Shooting Bricks podcast. And as always, I'm Jerry Castillo. I'm Daniel O'Hannon, and I just want to say, God bless you, Alex Caruso. And joining me as well, 
Free to go, AC Fresh, Alex Caruso. Yes, sir. It's been a wild offseason, but you already know who it is. It's your boy, Rather Rail, Jarrell Seth. We will see you guys next week. <laughs>